Hello, Frighters! I'm Holland Elise, and this is Fight or Fright. Hello, you lovely Frighters! What the fuck is up? Guess who's back? Back again. I'm your girl. Back again. Hey guys, it's Holland Elise. I have missed you so much. I'm so sorry that I have not released an episode for a while. The holiday season, work, everything's been crazy. I needed a mental health break to just kind of decompress. But I am sorry to have left you all hanging. I am going to be recording a bunch of episodes. I have a lot lined up. I have like a schedule now. I'm getting my shit together, guys. It hasn't been together, but I'm getting my shit together. So thank you for listening. And I'm not going to leave y'all hanging again, especially without letting you know that I'm taking a break. I have a bunch of episodes lined up this month. I love you guys. I love podcasting. Thank you so much for your support. And God, have I fucking missed this. I love bringing these episodes to you. Again, I'm sorry for my mental health break, but you know, your girl's got to do what your girl's got to do. And on that, so much has fucking happened since I left. The day I recorded the last episode was when we found out that basically Biden was too ahead and there was no way Trump could catch up. There's still a lot that can happen. I know that, but fuck yeah. Biden-Harris 2020. Wow. My mind is like, whew. And so much has happened in like the three weeks. It won't happen again. But circling back to my mental health break, during that time, that fucking poor social media influencer that was found dead, it's just horrific. There's so much craziness going on. I know I took a mental health break, but my mental health break has been watching documentaries and The Undoing and like, what the fuck is up with undoing? Am I right? I mean, what the fuck? And HBO's uh, Max's documentary, Heaven's Gate, The Cult of Cults or something, I think it's called. But like, it's just been craziness. But I am so excited to be back with you guys. And I am hoping that this last month of 2020 goes by quick. So this shit show that's 2020 can be over and in 2021 we can start fucking anew bitches let's do it erase this year from the history books it sucked let's move forward Ugh, people still just stay safe covid is messed the fuck up anyway so now that that's all out of the way <laughs> let's get to the case and this is one of two episodes that i have coming out this week it's a little bit of a treat for my loyal, lovely, frighter listeners. I love you guys. And this is all thanks to the beautiful, wonderful saint that is my audio editor, Perry. She is amazing. And until Christmas, the cases that I'm putting out are going to be semi-holiday themed. So with that, I am coming to you at the most wonderful time of the year with the most awful crimes. You're welcome. So picture it. The year is 2008. We are in Covina, California, and it is Christmas Eve. Eggnog, glug, Christmas cookies. These are all aplenty. It is nearing 11.30 p.m. when 
Santa starts walking towards the door. I mean, that's like every kid's dream, right? The house is filled with 25 people. There are kids, teenagers, adults. It's just a family coming together to celebrate the holidays. I mean, it seems pretty picture perfect, right? I mean, Santa's walking up, there's kids, they're probably losing their shit because Santa's coming up, but wrong, because little did they know that Santa was not holly or jolly, he was a cowardice piece of shit. So let's get into it. And to get an idea of the whole story, let's start before December 24th, 2008. So Sylvia Ortega Pardo was married to Bruce Pardo. The two wed in... 2006. They'd not been married long before a bunch of issues started to arise. There were a lot of marital issues, and there's not really an explanation about what the issues were so much as there were issues. I saw in one source that the issues arose because Pardo had a child from a past relationship that he wasn't upfront about. But again, that sounds a little bit like neighborhood gossip to me, and there's no There's not more than one source that I saw that backs this up. So some people thought that this was possibly the cause of marital issues and impending divorce. Even without this reason, Bruce Pardo had a lot of stress in his life, and he had a lot of difficult transitions. His life was changing a lot. Bruce was fired from his electrical engineering job, and right before this horrific event, Sylvia had settled the divorce, and things were definitely leaning in her favor, which for this fucktard was not going to work. I mean, these two were married, and during their marriage, Sylvia had to care for her own three children by herself. He didn't help her at all. She had to make her own money to pay for her kids to the point where he didn't even allow them to have joint bank accounts. Like, that's fucked, man. If you're marrying someone, you're marrying their kids, too, even if it's kids from a different relationship. Like, what the hell? But in this settlement, Bruce was going to have to pay Sylvia $10,000. Also, he was going to have to give her $1,785 a month in spousal support. According to a document, Sylvia got to keep the wedding ring, the family dog, and such. And, I mean, if Bruce Pardo wasn't even willing to pay for her kids when they were married and didn't let them have a joint bank account, having to give her $1,785 a month was not going to fucking fly. And in court, Bruce openly complained that Sylvia lived with her parents. She didn't have an apartment or house or anything she needed to pay rent on. And so he was annoyed that he had to give her money when she was just living with her parents. So, I mean, this guy's a fucking class act. And he takes toxic masculinity and misogyny to the next fucking level. But with this background, let's go back to the night of December 24th, 2008. So Sylvia was at her parents' house where a party was being held. It was her whole family coming together. She had a big family. Her kids got to see their cousins, their aunts, their grandparents. She was happy with her family and just celebrating. And after this settlement, I can only imagine and assume that she felt like Bruce was just another chapter in her life that she was finished with and could start anew. I mean, it's Christmas Eve, so only one week till New Year's Eve and the whole new year, new me shit. And I can 
only imagine with the settlement being over, she was ready to move on from that part of her life. So on that night, she was just enjoying her family, and this is when Santa began walking towards the door, and all hell broke loose. So when Santa knocks on the door, there is a eight-year-old girl that runs to open the door. There's 25 people. It's a party. It's loud. She just happened to be the person that heard the knock on the door. And I mean, who knows? Maybe from like the window, she saw Santa and she's eight years old and fucking excited as she could be. But sadly, when she opens the door, the man that is in the Santa costume shoots her in the face and she is severely injured. Along with the gun, this Santa had a gift wrapped present. This present was as horrific as everything else because it was a homemade flamethrower. And then his massacre slash reign of terror begins throughout the house. Some of the people that he shot, he ended up standing above them and shooting them point blank like three more times. What a fucking jackass. And from what it was alluded to in the articles... The people that he stood over were his ex-wife and her parents. But by some luck, some of the 25 people were able to escape the house. Sadly, they did this by jumping through glass windows to get out of the house and make a run for it. He opened fire until he ran out of ammunition or until he just felt like stopping. And then he used his quote-unquote gift, also known as homemade flamethrower, to set the house on fire. And this fire was unlike any fire I have ever heard of. But by the time he left, some of the partygoers had made it to the neighbors and the police were informed of the situation. When they got there, there were nine people dead on arrival and three were horribly injured. The three injured luckily, thankfully, survived their injuries. One of the injured that survived was the eight-year-old girl that was shot in the face. Her injuries weren't life-threatening, but this poor young girl still had a very long journey ahead of her in the recovery process because due to her injuries, it would not only take a physical toll, but a mental toll on an eight-year-old. I mean, last you saw, you're opening the door, there's Santa and you're shot. Like, that's just a horrible thing for any child. And one of the witnesses said that they saw a teenage boy running and screaming, they killed my family. It's just terrible. There was also a 16-year-old who was shot in the back, but ended up surviving this ordeal. And finally, there was a 20-year-old who broke her ankle while jumping out of the second floor of the house, but she got away. And like I said, this fire was unlike anything I have ever heard of. It was really bad. This fire was 40 to 50 feet, and it took 80 firefighters an hour and 30 minutes to extinguish this fire. And they, were, they weren't able to start right away because there was ammunition that was still left behind. And so... Basically, shots were going off, so firefighters couldn't get in to fight the fire because it was too dangerous for them. And when they were finally able to recover the bodies, they had to be identified through 
dental and medical records. And to start this fire, Bruce had gone back to his car, gotten out of the Santa suit, and changed into street clothes. So after this awfulness and the fucking yuletide homicide that Bruce Pardo committed, he drove 40 miles to his brother's house. His brother wasn't home, but Pardo completed suicide not long after arriving to his brother's house. It is believed that this wasn't his original plan. At first, they thought he was making his way to Canada because they found Air Canada plane tickets when they were searching through his things. They found the the plane was going from L.A. to Illinois with a layover in Minnesota. But, I mean, for all we know, this could have been a red herring, or he could have been trying to make his way to Canada in another way. But no one will ever really know because he's no longer here to tell his story. So, who knows? But one of the reasons that they thought this wasn't his original plan was... When they were searching through his house, there was evidence that he was going to kill his mom because she had been sympathetic towards Sylvia, and they also believed that he was targeting Sylvia's divorce attorney. This was based on things they found in the rental car and the house and just through investigation. And they think that the plan changed because of the third-degree burns that he received and some of his clothes were burnt into his skin. And so this absolute piece of human scum didn't think about a homemade flamethrower and how there's some fucking things you shouldn't DIY. I mean, my opinion is don't fucking kill anyone or don't set someone on fire. I mean, just the common things. But if you're thinking of doing like a DIY project, a flamethrower is not the fucking way to go because you can't control those things. You could put too much like you could put too much accelerant in it. Like you don't know what's going to happen. So some things you should just invest in, but also don't fucking kill people. And I mean, I guess DIY is the only way to go because you'd look pretty freaking suspicious if you were on camera buying a flamethrower and then your ex-in-law's house is burnt down and there's a massacre there. But I don't know. Just don't kill people. I mean, it's as simple as that. But between his body and the car, investigators found $17,000 cling-wrapped to his leg inside of a girdle And he also had the rental car that he was using rigged so that if anyone tried to get it, it would blow up and they would be injured and all of that awful stuff. They had to shut down the street that Pardo's brother lived on and evacuate the neighborhood so that the bomb squad could detonate the rigged car in a controlled situation. And that rental company car would never see that car again. I mean... When I say this car was rigged, like, it it was done after that. They, they weren't going to be able to use that again. While looking at Bruce Pardo's house, investigators also found more guns and ammunition. He was locked and loaded in the most horrific fucking way. And the autopsies that could be done because, I mean, the fire was out of control and they had to use medical and dental records to find who these people were, but... Of the nine victims, 
three died from gunshots, four died from gunshots and then being stuck in a fire, and two died from the fire alone. And one of the most unnerving things I found was that a neighbor of Bruce's who was interviewed said that he saw Bruce the day that this happened and said he seemed happy, cheerful, like just in good spirits. And he said to this neighbor, Merry Christmas to me. And then he goes on to commit this awful crime. It's just so fucked up, man. Like, I, I don't, I can't, I don't even have words. Like, someone who would do this, and then not only are you killing kids, teenagers, all of that, and then you're completing suicide yourself, but the fact that you wanted to live and just burns kind of set you back is what it seems like is I don't even know I it's it's all just so fucked up and I mean on Christmas Eve my birthday is the 22nd so between Thanksgiving and Christmas to me is the most wonderful time of the year so my family usually celebrates Christmas like we have our big dinner on the 24th so hearing that like this family was celebrating and then this awful thing happened it's just so fucking messed up gosh this guy is a piece of shit what he did is horrible i'm really glad that that eight-year-old girl survived but god what trauma that would cause to her it's just the whole situation's fucked and people just don't kill people that'd be really great But now for the fright is over. Anyway, for the fright is over on December 27th, 1975, a 19-year-old Grand Junction resident, Deborah Tomlinson, was found bound and strangled. It was later found that she was sexually assaulted. The police collected evidence, interviewed neighbors, friends, but they weren't able to find enough on anyone to charge someone in this case. So, as it does, the case eventually went cold. But in 2019, Grand Junction Police Department took another look at the case with new eyes, new investigators, new detectives. They just, they put new people's eyes on it so that they could get different opinions. So what the department did is they used Parabon Nanolabs Snapchat feature. They used what was found at the crime scene in 1975 to search through genealogy and hopefully find a match to someone who was related to the killer. This led investigators to Jimmy Dean Duncan. They swabbed a relative of Jimmy Dean's and confirmed that he was, in fact, the killer. He would have been 26 at the time. The discovery was bittersweet because her family was able to get the answers that they deserve, but Jimmy Dean died at the age of 38, or 12 years after the crime. So there was no quote-unquote justice for Deborah through the legal system, but it is kind of nice that her family was able to receive answers after all this time. And that is The Fright is Over for this week. And the end of this episode of Fight or Fright. Thank you guys so much for joining me. And remember, I have another episode this week coming to your ear holes. So 
if you want to be alerted when that comes out, just hit subscribe. And while you're at it, if you could, please, 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 please give me a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. And I would really, really, really appreciate it. And if you can't do that, if you could at least tell a friend, your friends are my friends. I would love it if you could just pass this on through word of mouth. If you can't give a five-star rating or review, I really love doing this. Everything helps. You guys are amazing. You can find me on social media, on TikTok, actually. I'm Fighter Fright Podcast. On Instagram, I am Fighter Fright Pod. On Twitter, I am Fight Fright Pod. On Facebook, I am Fighter Fright Pod. And you can email me case suggestions just to chat, whatever. You can email me at fightorfrightpod at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Join me later this week. And remember, don't fight this fright. Love y'all. Till next time. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Fight or Fright. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Fight or Fright Pod and on Gmail at fightorfrightpod at gmail.com. Twitter is the only one that's a little bit different in there, and that's at Fight Fright Pod. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it, and it would really help me if you rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Even just spreading the word to family, friends, people you know that enjoy true crime, mysteries, paranormal, all of that kind of stuff. And this is Holland, and I'll see you next week when I tell you another crazy story. And remember, you don't have to fight this fright. <laughs>